0: All right, now we're gonna be joined by Andrea Goldstein, acting director of force resiliency in the U.S. Navy, and John Carbone, acting director of civilian force management of the U.S. Air Force, as well as Kevin Brooks, field CTO and executive strategist for defense and national security at ServiceNow. We'll examine how federal agencies are using digital services to evolve their mission and support employee well-being. Please join me in welcoming our panelists to the stage.
1: Thanks everyone for being here. So uh, as Steve said, I'm Kevin Brooks. I am uh, today transitioning to a new job, but we won't get into that. I wanna take a time here for a moment to uh, let our guests introduce themselves. So we're gonna start here to my left, immediate left, Miss Co- uh, Goldstein.
2: Uh, good afternoon everyone, Andrea Goldstein. I'm the acting director for force resiliency with the department of the Navy. So um, supporting the 900,000 personnel in the Navy and the Marine Corps on Um, addressing interpersonal and self-directed harm and promoting the well-being of our force.
0: John? Uh, Good afternoon, everyone. My name is John Carbone. I'm the Deputy Director of Civilian Force Management at the Department of Air Force. Uh, Our office writes the HR policy for over 200,000 different civilians worldwide. Uh, I've been in the federal government for about 20 years now and uh, just happy to be here today. Great, thanks. Thanks. So, we're going to start with
1: uh, Mr. Carbone. First, you know, we're starting to get beyond, thank you, is it me? Okay. Okay, nope. Okay, we're starting to get beyond the pandemic. It's starting to recede. So, we want to take stock of all the things that have gone on uh, with our federal workforce in that time, particularly around the topic of wellness. In what ways has the pandemic made workforce well being even more of a priority than before?
0: Well, I think that the pandemic definitely was sort of the ultimate stress test, no matter which type of workforce you were in, whether you were in a white collar job, blue collar job, a military member, it really had a a profound impact on our professional and personal lives. And I think work-life balance is probably the number one priority right now. Um, Something about being faced with your own mortality, the mortality of your family members, your friends, Uh, It makes you really take stock, like you said, and people said, hey, I want more of the life part of that work-life bounce equation. Uh, And that means having more control in how they perform work, uh, how they perform it, when they perform it, what locations, and having access to different programs to help them and their families with challenges that arise. Uh, That means that we have to become more proficient in the federal government of managing things like alternative work schedules, using gliding uh, scheduling using maxi flex schedules where employees can choose their start and stop times in a day as long as they fulfill eight hours a day it doesn't matter when they start and stop they can meet their personal obligations drop their children off at school or things like that Uh, maxi flex many of you are familiar with you put in the 80 hours within a pay period doesn't matter how many days a week you're putting in your 80 hours the mission's not being compromised uh, maximizing telework and remote work, uh, more resources towards childcare and elder care, and, and a stronger emphasis on those employee assistance programs that help with all the day-to-day problems, but then also the complex problems like substance abuse, um, domestic violence, and mental health issues. So I'd say work-life balance, number one priority. Number two priority would be be more cognizant of the prevalence of mental health issues. Uh, work on understanding that, and work on destigmatizing mental health issues. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, or sorry, through the pandemic, cases of anxiety and depression quadrupled, and the numbers are still pretty static. That could be a good news story, because maybe destigmatizing mental health issues is attributing to that. We're actually hearing more about what's going on. Uh, but we have to make sure that we have the resources available to help our employees and their families, uh, because it's it's just gonna get it's just gonna get worse if we don't.
1: Okay. Thank you, uh, Andrea. So John talked about that burnout factor and how we have to elevate our game really to take care of our workforce. Um, with cases of burnout surging, as he mentioned, in the military and the federal workforce, you know that many are likely to leave their jobs it's going to be a recruiting and retention issue Uh, what should leaders be doing to address the wellness issue when it comes to talent management
2: thanks for that question so when i'm asked this i ask people to zoom out because uh, in one of my roles in in cultural transformation it's not just about destigmatizing mental health Um, we really need to be asking the questions of how people are getting to burnout in the first place um, because we talk about a lot of interventions, but if we want to talk about prevention, we need to think about everything that people are bringing to the table to include what is their family situation, what is their financial situation, what are their different identities. And speaking for myself, I'm you know, American, uh, queer, Jewish woman, so that means that rising anti-Semitism on the, in the outside world is going to impact And so all of us are coming coming to work with, might we have an ailing family member, a special needs child. So all of that is going to take a lot of energy just just before you get to that point. So that awareness is key. But one of the things I I ask my colleagues to do is to start with themselves. What kind of behavior are they modeling? Everyone on my team can see that I go to therapy every other Thursday morning. They can see that on my calendar. So it's not just about, well, we need to give other people the tools. We need to model that behavior ourselves. We also have to be thinking about what are we doing that's contributing to burnout? For example, are you emailing your team at 10 p.m. and they think that they need to respond? You know, some of us work best at, at odd hours. Um, if I happen to be sending a one-off email to a team member well outside of working hours, I will typically put in the subject heading for Monday for tomorrow. Um, and also managing uh, and also managing time ourselves, how we respond to things. And, um, and, and that is a great place, and, a great place to start. The other thing is also giving people adequate resources. Um, we have a really big part of taking care of our people, and this is something that we talk about within my team. My team is responsible for taking care of the workforce, so how are we also taking care of those who are taking care of others and ensuring that we have um, adequate personnel that we're hiring people on time, that their IT works, Etc. cetera.
0: Uh, I, I can definitely relate to the burnout question because um, uh, many of you are familiar with the Office of Personnel Management Federal Employee View Survey. Uh, the Department of Defense also has many different climate surveys and oftentimes uh, the, the, the percentages of people uh, feeling moderate or extreme stress hits 40% or higher. And I know for our organization, burnout has been a real thing and we've done exa- exactly what you said. We've kind of looked at how we task things. Um, I'm sure there's some Air Force people from headquarters in the room, but we have, you know, hot, 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 uh, lava hot, lightning cords, flash cords. And so it's like everything's coming down as super intense. and so. We're, we're actually looking at the way we task things now and trying to use different language. What's the true suspense? What's the true prioritization? Uh, to try to take some of that pressure off a little bit.
1: That, that's a great segue, that hot, hot, hot. So <laughs> talks about you know, the culture of the workplace in the federal in, in any federal agency, name an agency, tends to be go slow, go, go, go slow, go slow. No, now, go yeah. now. So how do we uh, evolve our policies and our digital strategies to provide a supportive workplace culture, you know, so get away from that, everything's hot at the last minute, and build a much more inclusive and robust
0: wellness system for our employees? So, I mean, well, we talked a little bit. I mean, we have set up focus groups to kind of look at workflow and things like that. But really, if if you're looking to build a supportive... Uh, workforce I think a lot of we've made a lot of progress in DOD and the military services in advancing the diversity equity and inclusion and accessibility policies I can speak from my office's uh, perspective and, and and DEIA policies we took a deep look at um, our civilian workforce specifically our senior leader positions and we looked at representation, and it was pretty consistent that we had underrepresentation across the board, race, race, national origin, and gender, in GS 13 and equivalent and above positions up to SES. So we conducted a pretty thorough uh, root cause analysis of what was causing that underrepresentation. We developed countermeasures, many of which are policies, um, things like a diversity and recruitment strategy. Um, We developed unconscious bias training, and then we mandated that all selecting officials and hiring officials complete that training before serving on any selection board. And then we also looked at our career roadmaps, our leadership roadmaps, and we tried to see if there was any training or requirements within them that would dissuade somebody for taking that leadership route. Because one part of having a supportive workforce is definitely having that inclusion and accessibility um, some key key things we saw. I'll just give some examples: were mobility agreements and professional military education. We almost across the board had e- mandatory. You know, no matter if you wanted to be an enterprise leader, um, and we're looking across all 22 plus career fields and trying to make some adjustments where it makes sense without compromising the mission. Good.
1: Thanks. So, Andrea, um, in what ways do you see technology transforming the? quality of the support we give to that workforce so we can do quantitative, probably that qualitative part of that?
2: So three years ago, you, couldn't, you it was pr- much more challenging to telework. People did, but um, I mean, I, I'm also a Navy reservist and uh, just got over COVID and was teledrilling this past drill weekend and had the ability to have complete contact with my unit to include the ability to access encrypted email from my personal device at home. And um, during the days that I was in isolation and had to be working from home um, and was not on sick leave, um, had the ability to completely interact with my team. I have a team member who lives in Washington State and we see her four times a year. This was, sure we had, we had conference calls, but I never have 100% of my team in the office. I never have more than about a third of my team in the office at any given time, which has also enabled me to grow my team because we're no longer fighting for actual real estate in the office. Um, we've also seen Wi-Fi going out to some of our larger ships. so. Um, Certainly when I was on the USS Peleliu, which has been long decommissioned, there were 3,000 people on board that ship. You had no Wi-Fi. There were times where you would go weeks without being able to check on classified email. Now you have sailors who are able to, while on deployment, FaceTime with their family members, go to telehealth appointments, and we're seeing that not only is it improving morale, But we're seeing, usually when a ship pulls into port, there'll be a spike in issues that chaplain's dealing with, that the JAG's dealing with, because people are getting information from home. It's the first time they're able to deal with it. And that's, we're seeing anecdotally, when there's Wi-Fi, some of those spikes and challenges are also going down. So people both are happier because they're more connected, but they also have the ability to have access to resources continuously.
0: our our office is often involved in articulating like the competitive advantage of having a hybrid workforce when you're in a big military service though it is challenging sometimes because you have again white-collar workers blue-collar workers you have military members uh, a lot of people not in the traditional office setting and that's where it gets a little bit challenging so Uh, we're taking steps now to study a little bit more like the impact to readiness. And you, you just brought up some amazing points there. Really, we need this from a readiness and warfighting capability perspective to maintain continuity of operations. If there's a significant weather event somewhere, or heaven forbid, some national defense strategy somewhere, you have to be able to work anywhere at any time. And so getting really proficient at telework, remote work, hybrid work is very important.
1: So Andrea, I'm gonna come back to you. Uh, what are some of the steps that your agency is taking uh, as you plan to support employee wellness? You t- things touched on already a little bit. And do any of these measures represent an evolution of your workplace culture or mission, or are they revolutionary?
2: So the number one step that the entire Department of Defense is taking is hiring an integrated prevention workforce. Uh, this is an organizational transformation that has never taken place on this scale before. Um, in this entirely new capability. We're hiring thousands across all of the military departments. Within the Department of the Navy, across both my staff, the U.S. Navy and U.S. Marine Corps, we're hiring about 400 of these prevention personnel across the entire force. And some of them are actually going to be embedded. They're gonna be deploying with our operational units. And their role is one of the biggest findings of um, the efforts that are associated with the Independent Review Commission on Sexual Assault in the Military, which came out in mid-2021, is that response activities are not the same as prevention. Response is incredibly re- important, but it's a lot better to not have issues arise in the first place. And what that workforce is doing is helping our leaders who, whose role it is to set the tone, um, is to set that climate and culture, do, f- do so in an effective evidence-based manner. Then there's also thinking about, well, how can, we, how can we add resources on the response side? I'm also hiring 2,000 personnel on the response side. Um, there's a lot that's being done to improve the military justice process, but also in ensuring that resources for mental health and wellness are available um, for civilians, we have the Don C. app program, um, ensuring that people are aware of access to resources like VA Vet Centers, VHA, certainly everything that, that, that TRICARE provides. Um, but also something that we have to really be keen thinking about, and we've been talking about this for the last few minutes already, is technology is great, but technology also means that everyone is accessible all the time and may feel like they need to be accessible all the time. And so something that we, we need to think about is also setting some boundaries and respecting those boundaries to, to have a healthy workforce. Because just because someone is available all the time doesn't mean that that is necessarily the best thing for your whole workforce.
1: John, same question to you.
0: Yeah, it's many, we're working on some, several similar initiatives in Air Force. Um, I would say uh, we have over 32 different activities providing wellness and resilience services in Air Force. And one of our challenges is having an integrated delivery of those services. So a family or an employee works into a particular office. You know, they might uh, disclose a variety of issues, uh, which not all are within that office's mission. So we're working hard to create a situation where referrals can happen, cross activities easily, sort of a soft handoff so somebody doesn't have to restart a process again. And we are using um, a a, uh, enterprise grade system to help us with the project management associated with wellness and resilience programs. We also offer a family readiness uh, training, uh, wellness and readiness training to families uh, with a strong emphasis on building a sense of belonging and trust in an attempt to decrease depression and the risk of suicide. Uh, And then uh, the other thing that we're doing is, is we're trying to create almost um, an easy method of analyzing the health of the wellness and resilience workforce itself. So uh, by pulling data from manpower systems, personnel systems, uh, looking at recruit fill data, looking at training, certification data, and being able to provide senior leaders a simple index score, one to 10, 10 being low risk, one being high risk, of how certain populations within the wellness and resilience community are doing.
2: Well, and John, you bring up that uh, key point about data. Data is totally changing. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, a report on the Suicide Prevention and Response Independent Review Commission came out and the department is now charged with implementing um, either fully or to, in the spirit of 127 recommendations related to suicide prevention. And many of the recommendations are related to factors that many, many of us who served in the military or with the military have come to accept as factors of everyday life, such as crumbling barracks, pay delays, frequent moves, and what the report is saying is these add to instability and do not promote well-being, and it doesn't need to be this way. And how are we going to identify if we're being successful? It's very difficult to measure a negative, but you can measure trust and you can measure connectedness, and we know that those are protective factors against suicide and also against other uh, against anxiety, against depression, and promote everyone's well-being. So there is a positive that we can measure, and that is a way that we'll identify how we're being successful.
1: Good, great, so before we wrap up, I want to give you a chance to just, you know, for two minutes, just kind of say, what, would, what, what didn't I ask you that you wish I had? So we'll start with you, John.
0: I'd say, you know, what we need. <laughs> what we need from Congress, what we need from DOD. Uh, so I'd say additional resources to have the ability to, ex- to expand our programs, to get out the services to more families and uh, more employees. Um, and then I've, I talked to our resiliency office in Air Force. I said, hey, I'm gonna be asked this question. What do we need? And <laughs> They basically say to me is that we have to communicate to our senior leaders, hiring managers, supervisors to get out there that people need time. Federal employees, military members need the time to take advantage of these services to perform that self-care. That's all crucial. I mean, many of them are aware of the services available, but they just don't take the time to take advantage of them.
2: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And um, I would certainly say one thing, because I have, I have a, a, about a quarter of my team uh, vacant right now, and we're currently going through the hiring process. Um, we are in a competition for talent just like everyone else. Um, and something that where I'm looking for good ideas and think about how we can implement it within the federal workforce. You know, I mentioned that we're hiring 2,000 mm-hmm. response, 400 prevention personnel, and that is just Navy and Marine Corps making sure that we're getting the right people, that the right that the, that people are even ringing the doorbell, and then that we're also able to get the right people in the door onboarded and get them on quickly. I mean, we don't want someone waiting 6 months just to be able to have an email account once they've already agreed to to come and work for us. So, great ideas that I can action and that I can action quickly.
1: So, that was follow up to his question. Do you have another one you want to ask or we get? It?
2: <laughs> no, that is that is that is the same thing. I, same okay, thing. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you both for your time. This has been really enlightening. I really thank appreciate you. coming and joining us today. Thanks. Thank you. So thank much. you.